Well, we're going to continue our series in the book of Nehemiah. We started this oh, a few weeks ago. So if you would turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 3. And I was reading this and trying to tie it into the new year and how it fits and would it fit. And actually, as I read it and started putting this together, it fits pretty well into what's happening and what's going to happen. Now, if you read Nehemiah chapter 3, this is one of those chapters, I don't know about you, but I kind of skim through quickly because there's a lot of names and places and things like that, and I kind of skim through those. And it kind of bogged me down as I read them. But I realize that, and I said this before, if God puts it in there, it's in there for a reason. And now we're not going to look at the names in specific, but we're going to look at the main point of that passage, I think. Nehemiah went back to rebuild the walls. The city and the walls and the gates were in a shambles. And the work to restore them was going to be an overwhelming job. Seemingly too hard to overcome. It was such, in such bad shape that it almost looked impossible to rebuild. This past year, I think, has seen significant changes, hardships, not only on churches, but on businesses and families. It's just been, it might even appear to be too hard to overcome. If you listen to the news, it seems like it's never going to end. Just like Nehemiah, rebuilding from last year into this year seems hard to overcome. It was a great challenge for Nehemiah, and from the natural perspective, it probably seemed impossible. You look at the walls, they were in just a pile of rubble. The gates were all torn and burned. But you know what? He had a great God that was able to accomplish it. But the walls and the gates would not be rebuilt by themselves. How many know that God didn't just go poof and rebuild the walls? He could have, but he didn't. Because he required everyone to step up and do the work. And I kind of have the sense that's where the church is today. Not just our church, but churches in general. The past year has brought some, put some churches in shambles. Across the board, attendance is down, fear is up, worry is there, sickness is abounding, giving is down, ministries are struggling to keep operating. And I keep hearing that no end. It's going to last indefinitely. No one's able to give you a date when you know what? It is over. Because I don't think it's ever going to be over. We have to adapt to that and move on. So from the natural, it seems like it's almost impossible to recover. So we can do one of two things. We can sit around and just kind of wait for it to end, or we can step up in faith and start rebuilding what the enemy took away last year. And I think that's where we're at right now. In Nehemiah's case, it was the work was a great challenge, but they knew they had to start somewhere. Now, what was the purpose of rebuilding? Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Nehemiah 2.17 says, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. In other words, people were mocking the God of the Jews. They were mocking the Jewish people. 
basically telling them, if your God is so great, how come the city's destroyed? If God, if you love your city so much, why are you letting it just sit around in nothing? Nothing's happening. If your God is so good and so great and so powerful, why is this happening? Why is your city like this? And you know what? The people became accustomed to the situation. They got, they liked the status quo. They accepted it. They really didn't want to put forth any, any labor. It was good. My family's good. I'm good. I don't care about the walls or the gates. It's comfortable. And they thought, you know what? It doesn't matter because it's not going to change anyway. So let's just go along to get along. Let the walls be down. Let's not attempt anything. It's not, it's not rock the boat. It's not perfect. But you know what? It's comfortable, so we're going to accept the way it is right now. Is that how you feel today? You know what? It's not going to change. The situation's not going to change in the world. We have to accept this as the new normal. We're never going to be able to go back to the way it was. It's not going to be as good as it was before. If that's the case, then the church will be the ones being mocked and ridiculed. Because if our God is so great, why are we letting the world dictate how we live and how we operate? If God is so good and so powerful, why aren't we doing something to change that? So Nehemiah comes into the scene. And you know what he does? He calls the people out. And tells them, you know what? God can do this if you're on board with it. We can accomplish this. We can rebuild the wall. God will give us the ability to do it, but you've got to do the work. God's not going to do it by himself. He's going to do it using all of you people. And he starts with the leaders and the, most, and the important people in the town. Nehemiah 3.1 says, Then Eliashib the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. Who do we have? We don't have the carpenter. We don't have the laborer. We don't have the, the shepherd. We have the high priest who is set apart to do holy things, getting his sanctified hands dirty. You know why? Because he believed that rebuilding the wall was a ministry under the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it, you must do all for the glory of God. So that means sweeping the floors, cleaning the bathrooms, doing what we do. Everything is a ministry to the Lord if you do it for Him. Nobody is above doing hard work to advance the kingdom of God. Our pastor in, in our old church, he was one of the ones that he almost started. It was started, had about 30 people in it, grew to about 800 and he would tell, every week he would say how he used to scrub the floors and clean everything. He did all the work because he was the only guy. And as it grew, they had many others to involve in it. But the point is, no one is above doing work for God. Everyone is a part of what God wants to accomplish. Everyone in the town wanted to rebuild the walls, and they all had to do it to rebuild them. That means if you've been a Christian for a while and people see you as a leader... We need to be the first ones getting in the trenches, doing the work, rebuilding what the enemy has destroyed. In this chapter, there are 38 individual people and 42 different groups mentioned that are helping to rebuild the walls. In other words, everybody. Everyone was a part of the work. 
The chapter mentions rulers and priests, men and women, professional craftsmen, even outside workers, all a part of what God was going to do. And since everything in God's word is of significance, we're going to look at one part today. We're going to look at the first half today, the gates that were being built around the city, why they were being built, the order that where they were there, and each gate signifying something very important. So verse 1, back again, Eliashib the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. The sheep gate was where sacrificial animals were brought in to be offered at the temple. The gate signifies Christ for each one of us. The first place we have to go as, per, as a person is through the sheep gate. We have to come to Christ in order to know him and be saved. Our desire to rebuild the shambles of the past is the very first thing we have to focus on in relationship with Christ. When you come to Christ, you realize where your life was at that moment, and you have to make a change, and you can't do it yourself, so you come to Christ, and he makes a change for you. He changes you from the inside out. Without that, nothing else is going to work. The first thing any person has to do is come to know Christ as their Savior. And the very first gate they were rebuilding was the sheep gate. Every other gate that comes, comes after this one. In fact, as you go around the walls and the gates, it begins with the sheep gate and it ends with the sheep gate. What's Jesus? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last. John 10, 7 says, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. If your relationship with Christ is off, nothing else is going to work. Everything that comes after that is built on the foundation of you knowing Christ as your Savior. And everything that we do to rebuild is based on your faith and trust in Christ. You know, this past year has been, I don't know about you, but so different than any other year in ministry for us. Because everything was so different. And it became almost to the point where you don't care. You just wanna go forward, you wanna keep doing it. And what happens is you become so worried about the mechanics of it. Can we meet, can we, can we sit six feet apart? Do we have to wear masks? All the mechanics of getting together, you forget about what God wants to do. And you try to do it in your own strength and you forget that it's not in your strength that you do it. If God is gonna build this church, that God has to be the one to do it. And we have to operate in our trust and faith in him to work through us, not in our own ability to do that. The second gate is the fish gate. Verse three says the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassaniah. As Christians, what? We are fishers of men, right? Mark 1:17. come follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Once you have a right relationship with Christ, you come through the sheep gate, the next step, the next thing you should have on your heart is the ability to, or the desire to reach other people. The first thing that you do as a Christian, when I got saved, and I'm sure all of you had the same testimony, man, you couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. You couldn't wait to tell people the change that took place in your life because of what Jesus did. I've heard people say that's, you know, you kind of want to bottle that for a moment. You want to get that new person Hold them aside for a little bit, disciple them, and then send them out. 
Because if, if you were like me, you were got shooting your mouth off telling people about what Jesus did without any kind of background or any kind of information, no doctrine. You were so excited to tell people what Jesus did for you that you just did it. That's the second thing. If you want to see the power of God, the number one miracle that God does is change people's lives. You know, miracles and healings and all those are, those are great. We want those and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the greatest miracle that can happen is a changed life. Everything follows from that. And you want people to experience a miracle? That's what we pray and that's what we believe for. Going back to what we said before, we're, we rebuild after last year, not on our own ability, but we pray and we fast and we have faith and trust that God is going to do it as we do the work. You want to see a church explode with the presence of God? Bring lost people in the church. Bring people in who need Christ. And especially during this time where there's so much fear and trepidation and uncertainty, people are looking for something that is solid, something that they can trust. And we have the answer to that. So we need to bring them in. And you know what that requires? Work. Not just physical labor, but prayer labor as well. And again, there's a reason for the order of rebuilding the walls. You get, with, get right with God through Christ. Then you bring other people with you who, who need to know Christ. And then you come to point three, which is the old gate. Verse six says, the old gate was repaired by Joida, son of Pasaea, and Meshulam, son of Besoadiah. How about those names? I did that pretty good, right? That must be the spirit because I can barely say those things. Now, this is a unique name and a different meaning to this gate. The old gate was named, gates were named because of what happened outside the gate. And when you came through the gate, it was something different. And the old gate, as you entered the old gate, you were entering into a place that the, the Jews called the new quarter. Or they refer to it as the new area of expansion. Meaning, if you want to enter into something new, you have to pass through something that's old. Now, that sounds like a, kind of an oxymoron, right? In other words, if you want to see God do something new in our church, you have to do something that's been done before. Something we might consider old-fashioned. Now, I'm not talking about music or styles, or, you know, we're not going to go back to shag, succotash, carpeting, you know, we're not bringing back bell-bottoms and all those things. We're talking about prayer and fasting. Seems old-fashioned, right? We have all these programs. We have the kids' ministry. We have the youth ministry. We have all these programs. We have worship. Don't they work? Well, yeah, they will if you go through the old to see what God wants to do with the new. Now, I've been reminded that we haven't done these things in quite a while. We want to see people come to Christ, right? That's our goal. We want to see God's church grow. What does the Bible say we need to do? Matthew 9, 37 says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is so great, but the workers are few. So the harvest is great. A lot of people need to know Christ. A lot of people ready to know about Christ. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers for his field. What do we do? We pray for God 
to send others to family, to friends. We pray that God sends people out, right? How often do you think that maybe you are the answer to somebody else's prayer? Somebody who may live in states far wide, but their relatives live here, and they're praying, God, send someone to them who knows Christ, because I can't be there. Or maybe they're part of my family and they don't listen to me anymore. Send somebody else to them. Maybe you're that answer. Maybe you're the one who God's going to shove into the harvest field so that you can share the love of Christ with them. What happens when the disciples couldn't drive out a demon? Mark 9, 29. They came back and said, we couldn't do it. Jesus said, he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. If you think you can win a spiritual battle by human wisdom and human power, you're going to fail. If you're seeing, serious about seeing God move, then what do we need to do? We need to spend time praying and fasting for God to move. Now, I'll be the first one to say that I have not fasted in a long time. Obviously. Who else can say that? So we either let the situation stay as it is, we accept the status quo, we are a weak church, unable to withstand what's happening to us, or we go on the offense and we pray for healings. We pray and fast for salvations. We pray and fast for deliverances. How many of you got a bulletin when you walked in? On the back of this bulletin. Now, next week is a week of prayer starting tonight, actually, the Assemblies of God. But on the back of that is what we're going to do in this church. Now, most of you know I am not creative in any way. My wife came up with 21 in 21. So that means 21 days of fasting in the year 2021. Cute, right? easy to remember and what we're going to do and I'm going to ask each of us myself to take 21 Wednesdays from this Wednesday coming until May 26 that's 21 Wednesdays asking you to fast breakfast and lunch if you're able you know I think all of us are unless you've got a medical condition all of us are able to fast a little bit and during the time of fasting, pray that God really moves in this church. Now, we're going to, at the end, we're going to have prayer because there's a lot of people that are in this, in this church who are sick in the hospital, Bill and Diane, and we're going to pray for them. And we're actually going to come up front and do what the Bible says for that. But I want you to take this, stick this on your fridge. Pray for your families who don't know Christ. Pray for your friends, the people you work with who don't know Christ. And pray that we are able to reach out into this community. This, this church can reach this community in some way with the love of Christ. Pray for healing for our families and church body. A lot of, a lot of sickness, a lot of stuff going on. Not just COVID, just other things as well. And pray for the Lord's direction on that property next door. You know what's going on with that, the township and everything. What does God want us to do with that? What's God got planned for us? 
Pray for them. So for the next 21 Wednesdays, I'm asking you, take time, pray, and fast. If you can fast breakfast and lunch, awesome. If you can only do one, do one, but pray. Fasting allows your body to be denied because our flesh wants to eat. How many of you are going to lunch right after church? Right? We all go to lunch. You deny, the Bible says deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Deny yourself what your body wants and take that time to pray. And the Bible says that God answers according to our faith. You, you fast and you pray and you really intercede for what we were praying for. God will work. Mark 9, 29, this kind, the demon, and that means anything we pray for can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. It's not gonna work by just us doing our physical and what we can do in the natural. It requires us to take time and do a spiritual fight for the people who don't know Christ. The enemy does not want people to come to Christ. How many know that? The enemy is blind. The Bible says the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the truth. But God is able to remove those blinders. And God is able to open up their minds and their spirits to the truth. But only God can do that. And we have to pray and fast and trust God that he is going to do that. And then we have to do our part in maybe being the witness to them. So Nehemiah looked at this wall, had no idea how to do it. But he didn't let the hopeless situation he was in stop him. What did he do? He dug his heels in, he prayed, fasted, and he worked. Now we come to the valley gate. Nehemiah 3.13, the people from Zenoa led by Hanan rebuilt the valley gate, or as some translations call it, the challenge gate. Now, when we use the expression going through the valley, I think we all know what that means, right? Hardship time, a difficult time in a believer's life. As you progress through the symbolic gates in the believer's life, you're going to see a pattern. Man, you come to know Christ, you are excited. How many, when you got saved, it seemed like God answered every prayer right away? Then as you became older in Christ, what happens? A little bit longer. And then as you become older and older, it just—it seems like God takes his good old time. The more you know of Jesus, and the more you want to fast and pray and become like him, you know what's going to happen? You are going to face opposition. Things are going to happen in your life where you hit the valley. I keep thinking about Elijah when he defeated all the prophets of Baal. What's the first thing he did? He ran away because Jezebel was going to kill him. He runs up in the hills wanting to die because one little lady is trying to kill him. He just won a great victory for God. And all of a sudden, he hits the valley. And he starts letting the world dictate what he thinks. Things get hard. Times get challenging. Things don't seem to go right. No matter what you try, it doesn't seem to work. Does that sound like last year? As we start to rebuild after last year and we start going through these gates and we commit to what's necessary, there's going to come a time of difficulty and opposition. So get ready for that. You know, I think about what was happening up to March of last year. We were, we were 
chugging along. Things were going great. We had, it was an awesome time. God's presence was here. All of a sudden, bang, it seemed like it came to a screeching halt. And then we had to retool and do everything different. And you know what? That's the opposition. Well, now we're going to defeat that. And we're going to trust God through our prayer, fasting, and work that we're going to rebuild. And we're going to stay the course and not give in. Because God will bring you through it. And not only that, you know what happens when you go through the valley? I heard a, a doctor say once that nothing grows on mountaintops. But everything grows in the valley. You go through the valley, what happens? You grow spiritually. Because that's when you have to press in. When you're on the mountaintop, things are going great. Yeah, I don't need to pray today. I'm, things are going great. But you hit the valley, and you pray a little bit harder, and you fast a little bit longer, and you read a little bit more because you need God to bring you through the valley. And what happens when you're through the valley, you look back and you see where your faith has been built up. And God actually working on your behalf because you look behind you and you see where God did all this work bringing you through the valley. And once you're through the valley gate, God's bringing you through. Your faith is encouraged. The next thing that happens, you come to the dung gate. That's a unique name, right? Nehemiah 3.14. The dung gate was repaired by Milcajah, son of Rechab. And it was exactly what the name means. It's a gate where people took out their trash and their excrement and they burned it. Ever had a commode back up on you? <laughs> Ugly, right? Or maybe not had your trash collected for weeks? Years ago, Pittsburgh had a garbage strike, and they didn't collect the garbage for, I don't know, a month and a half. And all this garbage was collecting on the curb, you know, while the strike went on. And it was, it became a health hazard. Rats and everything was just disgusting. And you know what happens? That's what happens to your personal life if you don't get rid of the things in your life that defile you. And we all know what they are. We know the things in our lives that we need, that need to go because they're causing a spiritual health hazard in your life. Now, it may be different for everybody. And it may not necessarily be sin, but it may be things that are spiritually damaging to your walk. You want to see God rebuild this church to a place where God knows it can be? Then you know what? Time to take out the trash. Time to take out things in our personal life that don't need to be there. They are causing us hardship with God. The Bible says that God will not work in us or through us if we harbor sin. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If your prayers aren't being answered... Bible says examine your life. Make sure there's no sin in there that's keeping God from answering your prayer. Now, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? Because they don't work, right? No one, we all make them, we, know, we don't, they don't make it. But I think if we make a commitment to God to clean up, God will help you do it. 
The first things in your life you know you need to change or tweak or even get rid of, you ask God to help you do it. And he's going to do it. And you may not like it. He may take things from you if you ask him to. Now we're going to stop in a moment and we're going to pray. Because I believe we're in the same position that Nehemiah was thousands of years ago. This past year has wreaked havoc on many things and many people. Just like the captivity and the destruction of the city wreaked havoc upon those people. But I believe that God wants this church and every church to start rebuilding. We talked about it. We know what God's word says about it, right? The question is, are we willing to do it? The youth Sunday school class we had today was talking about it being hard to be a Christian. How many know it's hard to be a Christian? The Bible says, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's not easy. In this life, you will suffer persecution, right? All those who desire to live godly will face persecution. So being a Christian is not easy, despite what many preachers may tell you. It's difficult. It's hard. A lot of things out there that make us want to do the easy, easy thing. That was part of the group you know, lesson today was most times the easy way is not the best way. It's not the, not the most productive way because usually the easy way is the cheap way around it. What we want to do as a church is allow God to rebuild it. But it requires us. It requires not just us being here, but it does require that. It requires prayer on the part of everyone in the church because it is a spiritual battle. Nehemiah had almost everybody working on the wall. Without the help, wouldn't have gotten done. There'd be no wall, no gates without the help. I believe God wants us to regroup and trust him like never before and step up and do what is necessary for this church and the church in general to, to thrive. You know what happened when they finished the wall? You jump back to Nehemiah 12, 43. It says, many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration and the joy of the people of Jerusalem can be heard far away. When you do God's things, God's way, celebration, joy, and you know what? Everyone knows what God's doing because everyone here is experiencing it and people see the joy in our life. I don't know about you, but the most exciting thing is when I see God do something miraculous. It can be something little, but something miraculous. That tells me God's still here. Because you don't always hear him, you, don't, you never see him. I don't know about you, but I don't see God. I don't see any writing on the wall, I don't see any you know, flames of fire. But when I see God do something, I know he's there. And the world will see what God can do. Now, I'm going to take some time. How many know Bill's situation? Bill Myers, he sits right behind Phil. He's been in the hospital, what, two weeks now. 
on a ventilator, COVID and all the other complications that come with that. Oxygen levels down. I want someone to come and stand for Bill. And we're going to anoint you and we're going to pray. What's James say? James 5.14 says, Any among you sick, they should call the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make them well. That's not my version. That's straight from God's word. So we either believe that or we don't. Now, the oil does not heal. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who heals. And we're going to believe that God's going to do that today. Diane is in the hospital. You know, she's got a vertigo thing going on. We don't know all the complications. And you know what? Neither do the doctors. So, Mark, why don't you come on up? We're going to pray for her. We're going to pray for Dustin's dad. Why don't you come on up, buddy? Marina, why don't we pray for Marina? Come on up, Phil. She's struggling, you know. She's constantly got something going on. Now, they have relatives who have tested positive. We're not going to ask them to come, but we're going to pray for them and believe that God's going to heal whatever's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, if anybody knows something specific you want to pray for, I want you to come up. This is, we're going to step out. We just read what God's word says, we, and we're going to do it. And we're going to trust, and we're going to believe that God's going to do this. And you know what? Not only for the healings that are going to happen, but I want the hospital to see Bill instantly get up. And for Dustin's dad to instantly rise up. And Diane, that instantly, that they can't explain what's happening. God can do it. So I'm going to go along, I'm going to anoint these folks with oil, and we're going to pray and know that God is going to do this work. ask the rest of you to stand and extend your hands towards these folks. Hallelujah. You know, I understand that there is, there is caution to be had right now. But I think for the most part, we've been operating not out of caution, but out of fear. We do cautious and we do what we need to do, but we're not going to let fear overtake what God's word says. God's word didn't say anoint them with oil unless you don't want to do that and you're afraid. God's word is plain and said do that. So we're going to do that. And we're going to trust what God's word says. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. And Lord, you've seen what, what havoc has been wreaked in our world this past year not only from COVID, but also the, uh, all the other things that are going on, the election, the politics, the riots, all that stuff that's going on. Lord, forgive us if we have been fearful in that. Forgive us if we have not reacted in a positive way. But Lord, we're going to take back that year. 
we're going to rebuild the walls that have been torn down because of what's happening in the world right now. The church has not changed. You have not changed. The mission of the church has not changed. And you heal, and that has not changed. So Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we ask for all those who are in the hospital, who are sick, for Bill, for Diane, for Marina, for Dustin's dad, for Judy, for each one, Lord, who is sick, I pray in the name of Jesus, you heal them instantly right now. Hallelujah, Lord. I pray that God, you do a miracle in their midst so that no one would doubt a miracle has happened in their life. You are the God who heals. We are trusting your word, Lord. We're simply trusting what your word says. It's plain. Your word is true and we trust you. We put our faith and we put our trust in what you are going to do. So that God, the gospel gets out. The glory of God is seen. Testimonies are had and received because of what you do. Father, we thank you that you're the God who does miracles. You are the God who heals and you are the God who wants people to know you. And I pray that you would use every healing, every miracle, every time that we pray and fast, I pray that, God, you would use that to reach people. Holy Spirit, work through us as we pray and believe as a group of believers that, Lord, you can change things. Nothing happens except by prayer, Spurgeon said. So we believe that, God, you are going to work. And we are going to be faithful in praying. We are going to be faithful in doing what you've called us to do. And whatever work you've assigned us to do, Lord, we will do it because we want to see your kingdom expand. We want to see people saved. We want to see lives changed, families healed, people delivered. Lord, we want the power of God to be seen. We are not an anemic church. We are a church filled with the Spirit of God. That, God, you can do the work. Help us to pray and trust you to do it. We pray, Father. Not in our name, not because of us, Lord, but we pray because Jesus said to pray in my name, asking in my name, and you will do it for the glory of God. Your will, without doubt, is to have people saved. No doubt, no question. So, Lord, I pray that your will be done. Help us to accomplish what we need to accomplish in our end, but, Lord, you're, you are the one who saves. We water, we plant, but you save. So Lord, I pray that we would, we would do our watering, we would do our planting, but God, you save people. Bring them into the kingdom, Lord. Remove the blinders from their eyes. Allow them to see the glorious gospel of Christ. Let their lives be transformed. Let them see the truth, Lord. Let them explode with excitement because of what you're doing in their life. Draw people in, Lord. Open up their eyes on Sunday morning, Lord, and let them realize they need to be in God's house so that they would be saved, they would hear the truth, their lives would be transformed. Father, we love you this morning, and we are so excited for what you're gonna do. Lord, we are, not, we are no longer sitting back waiting for things to happen. We are going on the offense, and we are praying for you to do things, and you make things happen. And your kingdom is glorified, your name is glorified, kingdom has grown, and people's lives are changed because of what you do. Father, we are simply your servants, and we pray that, God, you would use us. Give us divine appointments, Lord. Prepare our hearts and our spirits. Put words in our mouth, Lord. Use us to further the kingdom of God. Because that is the mission of this church and every church. 
to reach this world with the gospel of Christ. Father, we celebrate this new year and we are excited to see what you're going to do. Use us, Lord. Pray through us, Lord. Let your spirit intercede through us so that miracles happen and we will have no doubt that it was you doing the work. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to that work this year. And we do it in the name, for the sake, honor, and glory of Jesus who gave it all so that we could have what we have today. And Father, none of us would go back. We are so glad that you took time with us to save us. Lord, help us to take that same time with others. And we will thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. And everyone shouted in victory. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. 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 You excited? Amen. God going to do something this year? Amen. Amen. Don't let this be a one-time thing. It's got to be a consistent every week, every, every Wednesday. Pray, and we will see God work. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night. Church begins back up on Wednesday night, 6.30.